Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Have you struggled with limiting beliefs before? It's kind of a trick question because we all have. And we've struggled with believing that we're worthy enough for whatever the opportunity caused us. We all have desires in life. And we all want to be able to achieve more, to be more, to do more, and ultimately to have more. But for me, I would say it wasn't until I really got around big thought leaders that allowed me to know that I was in my right lane. In today's episode, we have a special, special thought leader that is going to teach us about how we can not only be bolder, but how we can believe bigger in life. This is a superstar woman who has been around and has been able to accomplish so many things. And I'm grateful to be able to share her with you all, Mrs. Marshawn Evans-Daniels. And so without further ado, we're going to jump right into it. But I want to really urge you, get out a pen, get out a piece of paper, and take as many notes as you can because she dropped so much wisdom on this. And if you're someone who you're looking to reinvent yourself or you're looking to pivot or you're looking to figure out what is your purpose, what is your calling, how do you act and who you're supposed to be, this is an episode for you. So let's go ahead and jump right into it. Mrs. Marshawn Evans-Daniels. What's up, Dream Nation? We are back again with an episode that I am sure is going to rock your world. And I'm talking about purpose. I'm talking about believing bigger. I'm talking about everything that is right in today's world. And so without further ado, we have my sister on, Mrs. Marshawn Evans Daniels. You want to go ahead and say what's up to Dream Nation? Hey, Dream Nation. It's a pleasure to be here. I am honored for the invitation, but also just excited about this conversation. And I believe that this is just a unique season for people who see in the realm of the unseen to experience what's never been experienced before. And so the things start with dreams, vision, possibilities. So nothing but awesomeness is about to go down. Oh, absolutely. And what did I always love to get these conversations going is I compare us as thought leaders, entrepreneurs, change makers to superheroes. And the reason being is because we're constantly, and I know you are, flying around the world, putting on your cape, and you're trying to solve the world's biggest problems. And so what we do know is behind every Superman, there's a Clark Kent. And behind every superwoman, there's that Lois Lane. What I want to ask you is if we could take it back. The world knows you right now as the superwoman of Marshawn Evans Daniels, but who is behind the scenes that Lois Lane? Hmm, Such a good question. I always tell my friends that what I love about my friend circle is they know me as Marshawn and not Marshawn.com. And sometimes it's we can lose our identity in what it is that we do and think that's who it is that we are. And it can be exhausting to be a life changer, to help people, to make money, to help other people make money, to change other people's lives and to be in the trenches of transformational work. It's an honor. It's a sacred calling. It is not something to be taken for granted or to be in any way have any negative energy towards, but it can be exhausting sometimes. 
And I think we can lose again our identity and what it is that we do. So my real friends <laughs> and my family, they keep me anchored and they mirror for me a reminder of who I really am. Mm -hmm. Because sometimes, I think particularly as a woman of color, as a black woman, and as a woman of color of faith, so much of our identity gets into also what we are taught on how we're supposed to believe and what it looks like to be a believer. And you think that's who you are, or you think what you, who you're, who you're with is who you are. You think who you parent reflects who you are. So all of those things are still titles. And it's the people who are closest to me who reflect back to me, the people who love me regardless. And I didn't necessarily, I wouldn't necessarily be able to answer this question for you, but for going through some, some deep work <laughs> mm. to figure out who was I without the labels of being labeled as a problem child as a kid in all white school in the eighties, where it felt a lot like integration because it was the first time that my teachers had had a black student in their classroom ever. Mm. And so being labeled a problem child and then reinventing that to saying, I get better attention when I get great grades. And when I'm in the media, back when people were in newspapers, you're too young, you don't know about this, but there's these things, this paper, it's actual paper. And there was a printing press and they would have a current events that you couldn't, there was no Google and right. um, there was no online news. There was no Twitter for instant news. And uh, so being on paper and the local news and those things, I started saying, wait, that, that feels more like what I want. That's the kind of attention that I want, not the embarrassment of being in the principal's office or having um, to negotiate with the principal of whether or not he needed to really call my mom. And that's where I learned my advocacy skills. Like, here's why you don't, mm. here's why you don't. <laughs> and uh, so that achievement became my identity. And as an adult, that's all I really knew. And I didn't know that I didn't know who Marshawn was. And so a lot of my relationships were forged based off of perception of wanting to be helpful and useful to people because that also made me successful when you have value and utility. But then you're like, what, what value do you have if you don't have anything to offer? Or if you have something, but you just don't feel like it. And so now I can say I have a, I have a good sense of, of my understanding of my purpose in terms of my personality. I don't think purpose is actually what you do. I think that's calling an assignment. I believe my purpose is helping people to believe bigger and live bolder. But even if I don't accomplish that or do that, I'm not a failure in God's eyes. It's not the utility of my life. And so I've learned and I'm still learning to see myself through the lens of divine love that first and foremost, I'm an extension of God and God is love. So I'm an extension of love. And I'm a loving person who's loving to others, but loving myself means prioritizing myself, caring for myself. And in that love relationship, I'm allowed to go after my dreams because I love myself. And that is one of the greatest, I think, self-care that we can do is to give ourselves permission to just be without any strings, but also to do the things that our heart desires as opposed to doing what we think we're supposed to do, what we were told to do, what we were shoulded on to do, meaning what we're what you should be and should do, all of those things. And I'm a sister, I'm a wife, I'm a daughter, I'm a friend, and now I'm a new mom. And those are things that I think are some of the most beautiful aspects of life. On top of that, I get to help people be successful and I get to help people make money and I get to help people discover their purpose. But sometimes when mama, daughter, sister, wife is tired, I'm just, you asked an Oprah question. I had a long answer. I'm like, did I answer it? Those are the things I think about. And at the end of the day, I'm still discovering who I am. Oh man. I, I'm still I, trying to figure it out. 
I love it. And I love the radical transparency that you just had there to talk about where you were, how you're trying to get there. Because, and and what was most powerful, I think for me is I seen for over 10 years, and you even started out this way, you, you've called yourself a reinvention strategist. And you talked about it. And I know you've pivoted many a times in life. And why I think that's so relevant and I want someone to really take notice of that is because the times that we're in right now, depending on when you're listening or watching this, a lot of people are having to pivot, whether it's voluntarily or involuntarily. And so for you, how were you able to come to the fact that this is not the lane that I need to stay in? And so to give people a brief background on this to understand, you started out and you were in the beauty world. Am I right? I don't know. Was I? I don't know <laughs> if I've heard it described that way. I was like, was I? Well, you were beauty pageants and beauty queen. Yeah. So let me just say one thing about that, Casanova. So I competed in the Miss America competition, the Miss America system. I looked at it as a scholarship pageant or scholarship competition. Miss America is the largest provider of scholarships for women in the world. Mm -hmm. And I was able to pay for law school at Georgetown. Now, did we have to wear a swimsuit or get to? Yes. Was there evening gown? Was there a lot of makeup and fake lashes? Yes. Did we have uh, stuff that we sprayed on our tush so that our swimsuit wouldn't write up? Yes. All those things happen. But it's funny when you say that I never thought about it as beauty. I always thought about it as voice and leadership and a chance mm -hmm. to make a difference because it was through the Miss America competition that I had the opportunity to develop a national platform at the age of 15 for youth crime prevention, started advocating for the state bar of Texas while I was in high school in ninth going into 10th grade, and then started advocating with and working with the U.S. Justice Department as a teenager. So I was traveling the world as a teenager, helping kids who were incarcerated and advocating on why we don't need to be trying kids as an adult, as a teenager, right. and having a national platform around that. So when I think of it, I was in the transformation business. It was just the bridge to being able to have impact happened to be through wearing a crown. And I think everything that I've done, having my professional sports business and what I even do now in helping people to reinvent women in particular through faith, upgrading their faith, how they think about faith, upgrading their beliefs in terms of their thoughts, and then upgrading their actions in terms of what gets them results in their lives. This is just another bridge of helping people believe bigger. So whether it was kids at elementary school who told me in the kindergarten classes when I used to go speak and they said they want to be a Power Ranger. I don't know if you're old enough to know what a Power Ranger is. I am old enough to know. Okay. Don't, don't keep throwing these young jabs at me. I'm, I'm old getting, enough I'm to know Power Ranger. I'm, I'm getting used to the four in front of my age, like the 4-0 thing. I'm still adjusting to people saying, I remember you when. And I'm like, oh, I'm the one. I remember I used to tell my think 40 was so old. My dad always used to say, keep living. And now I understand what he means. But I think that a lot of the things that we do, it's interesting that you say that. And I think it's a fair assessment of it being called the beauty industry. But I think how you perceive what you do matters more than how other people perceive it because it determines how you show up. There are other people mm. who were on the same stage with me at the same time who might see it as that. And maybe they wanted to go be a model. I wanted to be a role model. Mm. And I, and I knew that it was in my DNA to do that. And when it's in your DNA, you're going to show up who, as who you are based off of how you perceive an environment, regardless of what it is and how it's been defined, you redefine it for what you want it to be. And that is why I think, and this might sound like a flex, but I think it's why those who I competed with 
weren't able to sustain it because they saw it on a superficial level and they thought, oh, I'm going to win this and I'm going to have these powers that be that come and help make all my dreams come true. That's not what happened for me. I had to deal with being a black girl competing in a predominantly white space and not winning sometimes. The winner doesn't always win. I'll just put it that way. But by not always winning, even because the cards weren't always stacked fairly, I learned to live a life of transformation, not just to have a moment of and having to have a crown to do it. I don't need a crown, right? A physical one. I was already given one eternal one. And so you learn how to operate in those spaces, but it really is about how you see it. So I'm glad you said that about beauty. I just didn't see it. I was like, I was, what did I miss? Right. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm so glad that you said that though, because one, it educates me and, and what I want someone else to take away from that. Here's what I heard. And it's that saying is when you change the way you look at things, the things that you look at change. And it, and that's exactly what you just said. It was all about the perception that you had and that's so crazy because for a lot of us, we're like, we're looking at it, whatever we're doing on a surf, uh, on a, a surface level, right? Superficial level is just what you said. And I think that if internally, here's the reason why I'm doing what I'm doing, right? People don't care about the what's, they care about the why, they buy into you. And if you have a vision, if you have your purpose, which I, I want to tap into next, because I know that that's something that you've educated me on and made me feel more confident in that. But if people hear that, just understand that if you can get down to the deeper root of the why you're doing whatever you're doing, just like you said, you get to do whatever. And, and just in your form, it came in the version of wearing a crown and being able to show the, the external things. But it was all about the internal for you. So I think that that's so big, so yeah. big. And many of us have these purpose clues and purpose drives your calling. One of the things that I heard you say, and this was probably months ago, but when I first found out that you were going to come on the show, and I went and I was like, man, this is going to be really good. You said, you said something along the lines of the things that you believe in, you build, the mm -hmm. things that you doubt, you delay. Yeah. Right? And when, when you first said that, I was like, oh, that was like the word for me of that day. Cause it was everything of don't have a procrastination and go after it, but let's tap into that. Cause I think for a lot of people, they have that fear. And that was where your whole video came in at. They were fear. And, and then you said certain things like when you have fear, you silence, you silence going above and beyond because you're silencing that voice in your head. And, and so can we tap into that? Yeah, of course. Yeah. So it's what you believe you build, what you doubt you delay. Mm -hmm. And I have a book out called Believe Bigger. I have a new devotional out called 100 Days of Believing Bigger. So I'm talking about belief. And the reason that belief is such an important topic is, first of all, I think the phrase mindset has been so used now that it's been watered down to positive thinking or to, it's almost the science, the the depth of it has been taken by people who aren't necessarily fully gifted in the area to where everyone talks about mindset now. So mm -hmm. I think when you have, it doesn't mean that everyone doesn't have a right to use their voice, but I think that we have some bad hollow teaching around it without the depth of it. Because I see a lot of recycling happening, especially online. We're just utilizing other people's work and thoughts and revelation and we're giving crumbs and people are trying to consume them as meals. And it really doesn't have the depth behind it. So for me, I have a, a coaching company started in 2010 and helping individuals to grow through business branding, marketing and sales. 
And it's grown to be the largest business coaching company for women of faith in the country. Mm-hmm. Now, working with people of faith is the hardest thing I've ever done. <laughs> Problem is not that we believe, it's that we believe and we don't know how to build. We believe so much that it causes us to think we don't have to build. And we have a lot of bad teaching, like they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. That's a great scripture. It's true. But I always looked at things. I looked at faith as a contact sport. I was an athlete, but my sport was competitive baton twirling. My brother was a multi-sport, more in the traditional sports of football, basketball, baseball, track. He, he did it all. He was just an athletic guy and he played, he was a quarterback at Rice. And so now I played soccer and softball. So sports was a big part of our life. And I looked at faith as when I'm out there and I've got three batons spinning in the air. And by the way, I'm legally blind in my left eye. So I'm not supposed to be able to do this. Doctor said it was dangerous, all of those kinds of things. So I'm competing at international levels. Again, a black girl in a non-black world competing in a sport that doesn't have people who look like me, legally blind. I've got three batons spinning in the air and I can't see with one eye when there's lights in the ceiling. And for me, I'm saying 413, which is Philippians 413. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens Mm -hmm. me. That is my mindset of faith. It's not reciting the scriptures. It's activating it in real time. That was what faith always was to me. So when it says they that wait upon the Lord, I looked at it waiting like an off season. An athlete trains in the off season. The way that we have been dumbed down to look at something that is actually a very powerful development scripture is as though we need to just wait for God to move. And there are seasons when that happens, but we are not taught a balanced approach of actually activity. And because so for me, I look at something like the mindset and the belief system around waiting is you people don't usually use this with women a lot. When you see an outfit that you like you don't usually wait upon the Lord for confirmation. If you want it, you go get it. But we hyper-spiritualize certain things and then we call it faith when it's really fear, lack of clarity. We call it discernment when it's really doubt. Mm. Like when you see something and you believe in it, you go after it. I say this to ladies all the time. When a man sees a woman and he knows that that is what he wants, he doesn't, all these games, it's just immaturity and it's doubt showing up. And he's going to transfer that doubt onto you to give you, and it's going to create a level of self doubt in yourself that causes you to now have a lower self image. Doubt is a major thing. It's a major thing. So doubt shows up in our waiting. It shows up in our hesitating. It shows up in our going in circles and our clutter and our confusion. And so when we start looking at what is it I need to change, you don't need another strategy until you really recalibrate your belief Mm. because what you believe you build. So when you actually When you believe in something, you don't care about your resources. We don't starve because we're not, we don't starve because we're hungry. We starve because we're not hungry enough. Mm. You're hungry enough for what it is that you really, really want. Or are you just got a couple of hunger pains and you're like, ah, most people don't change their life because they really just don't have to, if we're being honest. You don't change your life because you don't have to. It's when your back is up against the wall. And sometimes you see these circumstances come in is because If you get brought down to your knees, sometimes that's the only way to get you back to a place of real belief. Yeah, no, there's a lot I can say about it. I wrote a few books on it. I love the topic of belief, but the the 
the, the last thing I'll say is there's these two voices that I talk about in Believe Bigger, the voice of little me versus future me, because you talked about silencing. There's these two voices, little me and future me. Little me is the voice of fear and doubt and hesitation and the, the whisper, the little inner critic in our head, the hater in our head that says, who do you think you are? You're not good enough. You can't do this. This is too much. It's overwhelming. You're not good enough. You're too tall, too short, too black, too white, too woman, too what, whatever, 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 whatever. And little me knows you very well. Little me knows every single insecurity that you have ever have had and ever will have and plays upon all of those things and sounds like facts. Little me will actually use facts to rationalize, rational lies, right? To give you facts, to give you the wrong lens, to look at your facts as though those are final. Future me is the voice of faith. I believe that future me conspires with the Holy Spirit, the voice of God, to get us to see who it is that we really are. Future me knows us even better then little me and future me is not intimidated by little me. In fact, future me eats little me and swallows it like a vitamin for breakfast and only gets stronger. Mm-hmm. The challenge is we have been taught to doubt the version of ourselves that represents what is really in store for us. Future me also speaks through the language of dreams, the language of desires, the language of vision, possibility, and I believe also mystery and curiosity. Little me wants us to be practical. Future me wants us to be full of possibility and unstoppable. And so these are the ways we distinguish the voice of doubt and faith, the voice of little me and the voice of future me, because little me's goal is to get you in hesitation, to get you in the place where you're not building and calling it God by saying, I'm waiting on him and discerning. So if he can even use scripture to get you in a catatonic state of stagnation, then that's what little me is going to do. And that's how we've been tricked out of our dreams, tricked out of our destiny and saying that we're waiting on God when actually the promised land is wide open waiting for you to walk through it. Wow. What I want to know is where did this, did you always have this ability to articulate yourself in this type of way? Like for somebody that's like, how does she do that? That is magical. Cause right now I'm ready to run through a wall and be like, you don't know what Marshawn just told me. And cause trying to regurgitate that to your spouse, whether it's husband or wife, they, they can never experience that. It's like, what are you doing? I'm operating in my faith and you don't know big me versus little me right now. I'm suppressing the little me you just got to go with me i want to know how did you learn how to do was that something that that really you you you've where did it come from because for a lot of people right now they have that same faith they have the same ambition but they don't even know how they could start to articulate themselves in a way that allows them to show up to where other people will perceive them as someone who should be followed I think it's such a great question. One of the things I used to always say when asked, like, what's the key to success? I would say communication. Mm. I think it's the most important skill you can have in your life. I think it's also a part of our divine identity. The first miracle that God does, he says, let there be light. It wasn't the light that was created that was the miracle. It was the result of the words that were spoken. Mm. said, let there be light. And I believe if we're created in the image of God, we're supposed to create the way that he creates. And so we all are not just people who have a voice. I believe we are voice. This was a huge revelation mind shift that I had in 2012. And I got it. I was like, this is why 
I got an early start at preparing to be a good communicator so I could teach other people that it's not something to be scared of. It's not something to be arrogant about. It's not something to be intimidated about. It's something to embrace as a core part of our identity. Each of us are going to have different superpowers. I think that some of my superpowers are belief transference, helping people to believe, income generation, being a futurist, and strategy. And I didn't know that those were spiritual gifts because they're not in the Bible. No one talk, right. talks about them that way. But James 1, 17, and for those of you who aren't used to scripture, I'm sorry. That's just what I do. <laughs> sorry, not sorry. But this is this is my this is how I have had a winning playbook mindset and reading other things. But definitely this really anchored me too. James 1, 17 says that every good and perfect gift is from above. So I had to accept that all of these gifts were great and they were designed and they're just as important as any other gift that we're seeing as spiritually significant. But communication is something that I believe all of us are uniquely designed to have as a superpower. Now, my style of communication is not in competition with yours. So when people say that, oh, I'm shy or I'm not good on stage or you get the sweatiness, I've built my first business where I paid taxes was called Communication Counts. And I helped Miss America, Miss USA contestants with their interview, public speaking, and we would call it now branding. We didn't have that phrase back back in the day. Back in the day, we didn't have that phrase. And I always was seen for having good communication, but people would ask me about it. Now, my first talk at 12 years old, maybe 11, 12, 13 years old, I walked up to a microphone. It was at a rally and it was cold outside. And the microphone and is that when I get called up to the stage, I learned at that time, you should always have, if you're going to speak from notes, you should have your paper out in advance and not open it when you get to the mic, when everyone's silent. And the only thing people hear in the silence is you opening the piece of paper to get to your <laughs> notes. So people knew where I started, but I also started in kindergartens kindergarten classes. When I said that the kids want to be Power Rangers, that's because I would go talk to kids and kids can tell you that you're full of crap. They they can see through. Kids are the most pure. So I think I became a great speaker by learning how to talk to children. Mm. Because if a child doesn't understand it, do you really understand do you really understand what you're talking about? Children make us simplify the message. They they give us honest real-time feedback. If they're bored, they're going to yawn in your face. If you're funny, they're going to let you know. If they're fascinated, their little eyes are going to look up at you. And so children pull out, I believe, the best in you. And that's where I got my cut my teeth as a speaker speaking for free for years and years and years to teenagers and kids and, and toddlers. And then I spoke in nursing centers. People don't want to talk about the path. I, I, and then by doing competing as a teenager in the Miss America program, I also just had an opportunity to be in front of people a lot to work on my development. I think this is one of the things that is a danger of our development for our young people that are happening on social media. You don't have to get in front of audiences and you don't find your voice at an early age. I would say though, as I, when I competed at Miss America and I came back and I had to think about when I didn't win and I was third runner up. What did I want to do with my life? Because so much of what I was doing was towards that. And I said, I want to be a professional speaker. I want to continue what I was doing for free, but now I want to do it for a fee. Mm-hmm. And so I studied Les Brown. I, there were not very many women that I could even model myself after, but I taught myself how to get booked. And by doing that at the age of 19, 20 years old, I then have been able to build a multi-million dollar company in part, our signature, one of our signature systems and programs is called speak for pay. 
And I now am looked to as somebody who helps people to become better communicators. I think that's all business is, is learning how to communicate in a way that your messaging gets you to a yes. And, but for someone who it feels like they don't, aren't good at that, it's okay to get mentorship. It's great, but you do need to get started, get practice. And the last thing I'll say is don't worry about it being right. Like I'm at a point now, I don't care whether someone likes the jokes I tell, the way I talk, the way that I blend scripture with practical strategy. I pay my own bills. I don't care. And through that, I think I've become more impactful, but I have more joy because it's just not the way I don't, it's not my, my, my grandparents, my great grandparents, my ancestors before that didn't go through what they had to go through. And then I have the opportunity to speak as a free woman. Why would I? Why would I, why would I blend? Why would I do less when I have so much more? So stop caring about how you're going to be perceived and just start speaking what you're thinking and it'll come together. Wow. There's, there's so much wisdom in there. And I love the part where you started talking about with kids and how they're so pure. And I think for a lot of people, just like what you said, it's all about communication because a lot of the times for somebody that's listening right now and they say, hey, I have this business idea. I'm going to go home and I'm going to tell my son or my daughter or my niece or my nephew or whatever. Understand that it's less about what you say and the energy that you convey. Because a lot of the times if they don't understand it, that's why kids are so amazing. It's because of my son, if he comes to me and it's about him making a TikTok video or, or him being on Fortnite, a lot of the times they don't really even understand it, but they do understand the feeling. And here's something else that I just heard the other day. And I spoke yesterday to a group of real estate professionals and I told them, I seen this quote and it was so powerful. It said, but in the world of marketing, Marketing, which we're all in, regardless if it's business or personal, a lot of the times we're all worried about um, the ads that we're running, but it's less about the number of ads that you run and more about the number of impressions that you make. And in the world of anybody who's thinking about Facebook ads or Instagram ads or any of those things, if you really just take that and think about it, right, it goes back to that Maya Angelou quote, right? People don't care about what you said but how you made them feel. And I think that that's what's so powerful about you is because when you're articulating these things, I'll be honest, for the average person, when you start talking about dumbing down or keep it simple with all of the scriptures and everything that you've already threw out there, that goes over probably 75 to 80% heads. But you could just tell where your energy comes from and how convicted that you are that if I'm bold enough to ask you, can you go back and explain this to me? Because that's where a lot of people go wrong. They don't want to raise their hand and yes. say, hey, Marshawn, I didn't understand that part. But I love that you said it. And so for, for you, I'm just so glad that you said that. What's up, Dream Builder? If you are anything like me, right now you are super hyped. The amount of game that has been given in this episode, oh my God, do I know that because there is so much game, sometimes it can be hard to digest all of it. So here's what I want to do. I want to break this up into two episodes and I can tell you that on this next second part of the episode, she goes in even harder. So stay tuned and stay locked in. That's all we got for this episode. Thank you for sticking around. That truly means a lot to me. And hopefully that means that we delivered massive value on this one. If you haven't already, the way that you could say thank you 
to myself and the team is just by heading over to iTunes and leaving a review and a rating. That's what iTunes loves to see. That's how we get out there even more. And I would definitely, definitely be grateful for it. I know the team would as well. Do me a favor and head on over to dreamnationpodcast.com. That's where you're going to be able to find all of the resources that we talked about in today's episode, as well as more exclusive content. And you'll also be able to sign up to our email list where we have more exclusive content. And we always love to hear the feedback from you all because you're our tribe. So remember, in the dream we trust, we'll see you on the flip side. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.